What is up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It's Called Soccer. This is the podcast show that covers everything happening in American soccer. I'm your host, Jake. I am joined, as always, by the wonderful and talented team of Ellie and Tom. Ellie, let's start with you. How are you? It's been a few weeks. It's been a while, and it's been a wild few weeks. Um, You know, school year gets crazy at the end of the year, so us teachers scrambling at the end and summer camp's coming up. We love a good summer camp, uh, directing and whatnot. Um, and, you know, soccer season, lower league soccer season's back. So we are full swing, rooting for the CFC every day. Can people find you on the, the capo stand? Every weekend. And watch parties when we are not in town. There we it's go. always a good time. Amazing. Tom, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, it's been... A uh, crazy few weeks. Ellie was up here last weekend. Uh, this weekend, I was in Charleston for a wedding. Um, and semester ends in two weeks. So it's, you know, a lot of fun times trying to get some soccer watching in, keep up with everything in between. And uh, so, so glad we're back. How's dad life, Jake? It's good. I feel like for all the busyness that we all have, we're, we're looking pretty fresh. We're feeling pretty fresh. Yeah. Uh, I have to just brag for a second because... Theodore slept through the night for the first time on Saturday night, seven hours straight. So it's been good, but he's a good baby. I hear lots of horror stories and uh, this just makes it much easier to love him and be happy about being a dad because it's been good so far. All right. On today's episode, we are going to just whip around, talk about everything that has happened, that is happening Daryl DK's traumatic injury to his Achilles, the U.S. Women's National Team matches in preparation for the World Cup, where we saw another traumatic injury of Mallory Swanson, a critical piece to the U.S. Women's team. The return of Julie Ertz as well happens. We'll talk about that. Frank Lampard's back at Chelsea somehow, coaching Christian Pulisic. We might touch on that. Um, we'll cover the roster of the U.S. Men's National Team that is taking on Mexico. We'll answer the age-old question which is three days old, which is, do we care about this game? Do we care about the Continental Classico? And if you're Anthony Hudson in any press conference about this game, he will make sure that you know it's presented by Allstate. Let's <laughs> let's get started. Um, let's start in Germany, where Hoffenheim has moved out of the relegation zone. Pellegrino Matarazzo, an American manager, taken over the team, John Brooks in the center back position, starting to perform well. Guys, we have to talk about this because Matarazzo was asked after the match, the 1-1 draw against Bayern Munich away, if he would consider coaching the U.S. Men's National Team in the future. And he said that at some point he'd like to give back to U.S. soccer. So Pellegrino Matarazzo, is he throwing his hat in the ring? We still don't have a manager. So let's start there. Let's start from the top today. U.S. soccer, USMNT. Who's the next manager? Is it Pellegrino Matarazzo? Tom, should it be? Would we be happy about that? BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all of your basketball information, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all of your sports wagering needs, basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC, boxing, and the best sport on the planet, soccer. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting information. 
including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today and use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. I mean, of the realistic candidates, that's not a bad choice, right? You've got a guy with multiple Bundesliga teams. He looked great with Stuttgart when he was there last. Um, Hoffenheim has finally righted the ship. Uh, I haven't really kept up with them as much until they signed John Brooks. They were abysmal once they signed John Brooks. Now they were looking good again. So, yeah, I mean, it's always great to get a manager who is from your nationality in to coach you. That's how almost every single team who's had World Cup success has done it. So, of the realistic American options out there, Pellegrino Matarazzo is near the top of my list. Yeah. Ellie, Greg Berhalter is still in the mix here. What's happening in your mind when you hear other managers throw their hat in the ring? No, granted, like I'm, I'm still learning, um, especially U.S. soccer history and the players that we had in the past because I'm very new to all of this. Um, so I keep hearing names and I keep having to look them up and figure out who everyone is, um, which, you know, you live and you learn. Um, I'm not, which means I'm not really sure who I would like at this point and who is the next manager because there are so many names with hats being thrown in the ring. Um, the one I keep hearing over and over again is Thierry Henry, which, I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't hear the best things about him at Montreal, um, when he was there coaching. Um, I don't know anything about Mater- Mater- Materazzo. Yes. See, not a very American name. Yeah, (laughs) he's he's one of those with German heritage who also happens to sort of be a dual national American, kind of like John Brooks, actually, which is a good example of a player he coaches right now. Who is, um, you know, that's it's a name that I think most a lot of people are interested in right now, just because he has had Bundesliga success, and we don't have a lot of that in the American coaching pool. Yeah, Um, is it important to you, Ellie, to have an American coach? No, I don't think so. Not necessarily. I mean, I think it's it's fine. Um, I think ultimately, to me, the thing that matters the most, and I I think that it there's some proven success in just a coach who understands and can respond to the needs of his players and or her players. Um, a female coach would be awesome. Like, oh my gosh, how cool would that be? Um, but like any coach who can respond to their players and can meet their needs and find where they're at and then use that to bounce off of instead of having some plant kind of thing that they decide that all these players have to match into having something where they meet the players where they're at i think that's what's most important to me so i don't know how much nationality or even like how many victories you have under your belt necessarily matters to me like you want to put a coach who's ultimately competent but I think in in my book, ultimately, it's a a player who understands what team he's walking into, or she, I'm going to keep, or they, um, what team they're walking into, and and help and support where we're at at this point. I mean, I have always thought that, I talked about Frank Lampard, I mentioned him, if Emma Hayes, the women's coach for Chelsea Football Club, took over the men's team, or... I feel like she might be the first one to step into a men's club and be successful. Uh, she has a lot going for her at 
Chelsea Female Women's Club. Female Women's Club. That's redundant. Um, I would actually start crying if a female (laughs) coach were announced for a male team, like especially like the U.S. men's team. I, I, like I think probably decades off from that though. Yeah, there, there's there, there's a few steps to get through to that point. But in the future, it's it's a possibility. This is a barrier that's being broken across sports. Um, but there, there are other real estate names out there. If we wanted an American, um, I think Hugo Perez has a very strong case for the job. I don't know what you think about that, Jake. But, you know, he has done a – he's got El Salvador punching above their weight. They play beautiful soccer. They don't sit back in bunker. Um, it would be an interesting thing to see if he could handle our player pool. I mean – I like Hugo Perez. I think his his ability to get his teams to play in a certain way, no matter the talent level, is a testament to who he is as a coach. And there's something about having a track record at this point and being able to look back at data, look back and talk to players, how they feel about different coaches. That all matters. And you know, we're, we'll talk about Jesse Marsh. We'll throw names out there. Thierry Henry. All those coaches have big names and they've coached big teams or they've been big players. But I would almost argue that if you go, someone like Hugo Perez has had more tangible success with the the relative level of talent that he's been able to play with. So I like that. I, I get the sense that no matter if Ernie Stewart, Brian McBride, or anyone else is attached to U.S. soccer at that point, Hugo Perez has probably rubbed people at USSF <laughs> the wrong way. Um, enough to the point where he might be further down the ranks in terms of people, which is sucky, right? Like yeah. all, all of getting hired, no matter if it's for US 17 manager or something else can be politics and who you know and what perception people have of you. And I think Hugo Prez has a persona being fiery of saying what he feels and wearing his heart on his sleeve. And we haven't necessarily seen a US MNT coach like that. Jurgen Klinsmann's probably the closest to that. Yeah. And I think yeah. we got away from that type of personality after he was manager for a bit. And everyone in the Federation kind of said, hmm, there's some drawbacks here to us on a, a marketing and media level. So yeah. roundabout way to say, yeah, I'd be interested, but I don't think he has yeah. the, the, the level, the parallel level of regard that he should have within U.S. soccer circles that might be hiring him. Um, I think it's, I agree with you, Tom, on one end that most national teams that have been successful in the World Cup have had managers of that nationality, but that's not to say that just because that's the way that it's been doesn't necessarily have to mean that that's the way it will be. This yeah. is a new era of soccer that we're going into. The The globe, not just soccer-wise, is becoming much smaller, and I think like as all of that starts to condense, the U.S. soccer market starts to increase um like we we can joke about Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho becoming manager for the US men's national team, but at the same time, like there is a world where that could happen. Um it's not likely, but it's not like you're I don't know. You're yeah. not saying something that's completely impossible. Well, and I, I think it's worth noting too, when you know you hear the stat thrown around a lot that no man no team has ever won the World Cup without a domestic a manager of the same nationality of the team that won it. But when you look at the teams who win it or have a lot of success, it's just typically the nations that are very good at producing good soccer players and good coaches. So um, 
I don't think that I you can put a, too much stock in just because of the selection bias is what it is. So, you know, at the same time, it's nice to have a player who, you know, or a manager knows the pool, knows the domestic league a little bit. But at the same time, I mean, maybe everyone should just be trying to grab managers from countries that have had success at the World Cup instead of trying to grab one from their own country. I mean, that 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 could be the other side of that coin. So who yeah, knows? Maybe we should absolutely. be looking at a Thierry Henry, a French manager. Pellegrino Matrazzo is on the short list, I'm sure. But there yeah. are other managers out there. Let's stay in Europe, guys, and talk about the championship in England. Specifically, Daryl D. Gay, who injured his Achilles and will be out for months to recover from this he can't seem to catch a break so i want to talk about daryl dk first what this injury means for him and for the national team but then i also want to cover just quickly how condensed at the top of the table the championship is getting between teams that are specifically aligned to american players and who might be promoted into the premier league next season so let's start with daryl dk ellie what did you feel kind of seeing daryl dk's injury knowing that you know, this is one of the number nines that could potentially be that guy for us. He's just getting started. He's getting goals again. And then, boom, another injury. What's going through your mind? Just so much sadness. Seeing the pictures and seeing everything was so, so, so disappointing and so sad. Um, I think that it was really... It, it's. Daryl DK has been one player that I've been watching pretty closely in his career. Seeing him move from Orlando overseas and seeing him, you know, hit the field at West Brom and doing really, really well. Like starting off a little slow, but hitting his stride and really seeming to to find his his a solid footing um in the championship. And it's been exciting to see him. Who you know he's cut. He's pretty young, and I think he's got a pretty good future ahead of him as long as he can keep him keep himself going forward and so to see this kind of big derailing injury um really heartbreaking I didn't get to watch the actual play that that caused it but seeing the pictures I wish him the speediest of recoveries and you know I think it is going to be hard on us as a team um he is one that like we called him up in our last camp and our last camp was one of those really big windows and so one of those windows where you see who's you know, who who might get those really big future call-ups. Um, and so to see him pretty high on the U.S. roster, on the U.S. scouting roster, um, it's really disappointing to see him go down. Um, now, granted, we do have a good amount of backup. Striker is one of those things. We always end up at this striker conversation again. So, you know, we have people to step in when needed. Will they be quite Daryl DK's caliber? I don't know. Um, but can we survive? I think so. I think ultimately we'll make it work. Um, but it's definitely disappointing and I think it does cause issues there. The U.S. has, for the last few years, had a, a wide pool of number nines, not necessarily a high ceiling pool of number nines. So Tom, where does Daryl DK rank in that for you? What does it mean for the national team? I don't know. It's it's hard to sort of place him. Uh, you know, I was he's been on fire for West Brom, and you know he's such a likable guy that it really hurts to see him go down. You really just can't help but root for him to be super successful. But 
Um, even given a success at West Brom, Josh Sargent still scored more goals in the same league this year. Ricardo Pepe is now in the Golden Boot conversation in the Netherlands. Haji Wright is now in the Golden Boot conversation in the Nether in uh, Turkey. Um, you have Jordan Morris popping off in MLS right now at striker for some unknown reason. Um, Brandon Vasquez is playing very well uh, for FC Cincinnati. And then, of course, Valerian Valligan is always sort of lurking out there as this sort of game-changing striker. So in a Balliganless world, I think this hurts a lot more because I think I rate DK as probably a top three, top four striker prospect for the U.S. But in a Balligan, the world where he commit, commits to the U.S., I think it probably hurts a little less. I think I would have him below Balligan, Sargent, and Pepe in some order, I think probably Balligan, Pepe, Sergeant, and then I think DK is probably the closest chaser to that pack. You could convince me that Haji Wright's there too, though. Balligan needs to stop playing the will he, won't he <laughs> game with all of our hearts and just make a decision already. Yeah. It there does make DK. this whole conversation a lot harder, though, because, you know, he will probably, I think most people agree, walks into the number nine spot for the US if he commits. So until we know whether that he's going to or not, like we're, it's hard to sort of evaluate the rest of our striker pool because it doesn't matter as much if he commits. Yeah. I will say, I have questions about Balian's Twitter account and Instagram account, and if he's just having fun toying with US fans. And like, I feel like every day I end up on a social media platform and someone's like, there's a new clue that he's joining the US. And I'm like, <laughs> what if it's just that he really likes that hat? Like, is that okay? You know what that? <laughs> <laughs> actually toying with all of us and like is he watching this and he's like wow american fans man these guys are weird like i just <laughs> so many questions i would just really like a personal conversation with fuller maligan and ask him what, what does he know does he know again we we know you're listening call it to the show next week and we can ask you all of these very important questions about your yankees hat see where you really stand I feel like I end up like talking, like calling out Bally in every episode. I think I'm gonna keep doing it now until until he commits. Just you should. Respect he, me. He yeah. Once an episode, hey Balligan, You know when are you gonna commit? Stop messing with our emotions. Just do it. Just, just he do gets it. too much love already from the American fan base. We just need to provoke him a little bit. Maybe that's what's missing to really get him to engage with us. I do think you're right though. Like in my in my millennial mind, I just think he's a Zoomer that really loves social media attention, like and and reading all the comments. Maybe they are really weird comments, but like I think he loves that. Yeah, any- the American flag brigade is out in force right now, so it, it could be kind of addicting, I guess, to have eighty-five American flags under everything you post. Has anyone checked his follower count and how much it's increased since he started um, messing, like posting uh, these little things? This is- this is scuffed Discord territory. <laughs> Tom, we need a Python code. We need we need deep data analysis of his the geographical layout of his his followers since this started happening. I agree. Tom get on with Instagram's API here soon. You, you are right. Once Balogun commits to the US, everyone else is playing second fiddle to him. Daryl DK with seven goals and one assist in twenty three matches so far this season. He's still only twenty two years old. So all things considered, I think we hear his name over and over again. Like so many of our players are still not even close to the prime of their career. He is expected back in late June. So likely he'll be decommissioned for the season, get back up and running with West Brom in the preseason again. And we wish Daryl DK all of the best. 
Now, in the championship, let's just quickly go over, and I'll bring up the table here. But there are a lot of Americans currently vying for those top spots to go into the promotion playoff in the championship. We have Luton Town currently in third place with Ethan Horvath in goal and his compatriot in goal, Zach Steffen at Middlesbrough, is just behind them. Then we have Sunderland with Lyndon Gooch could potentially make a run. They're only two points behind Blackburn Rovers for that last promotion playoff spot. Norwich City, obviously, with Josh Sargent, is the same two points behind. And West Bromwich Albion, no matter if Daryl DK plays or not, they're only three points off that playoff promotion. As what does it mean to have so many American... I mean, essentially, it's almost guaranteed that there will be an American in the playoff final. Likely, there will be more Americans in the Premier League next season. So what does that mean for us? And do you have one player or team that you're specifically rooting for to to go up this season? I have a soft spot for Ethan Horvath and Luton Town. I just, I love Horvath. He's such a, a good guy, and uh, I would love to see them go up. I do have a question, though, about how many of these players, if they were to go up, are going to follow their team up. Or if they will be replaced Tim Ream style before this year, as soon as they get to the new team. It seems to me that Luton Town fans are not really on board with Horvath as a Premier League-level goalkeeper. Maybe Middlesbrough sees Zach Steffen permanently as a Premier League level goalkeeper, but I'm not not totally sure. Um, I'm not sure Josh Sargent is ready for the striker position in a Premier League squad, but um, yeah, it would be. I would I would love to see any of these names up. But Horvath's my guy. I would love to see him go up. Have has anyone ever seen Ethan Horvath and Tom in the same room before? They look eerily similar. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> This is like a conspiracy theory. I support this. <laughs> Run with it. Run with it, please. <laughs> In the same way that you have a soft spot for Ethan Horvath, I have a soft spot for Lyndon Gooch here at Sunderland. He's been with this team from the Premier League down to the Championship, down to League One, League One, back to the Championship. If he gets back to the Premier League, having been with Sunderland this entire time, sometimes the captain of the team, he's one of the longest tenured players for Sunderland. That would be an ama- one of the most amazing stories. And I think out of all of them, I know he's the, probably the furthest off the national team conversation, but he'd be the likeliest person to stay with the squad and compete yeah. in the Premier League. So yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Ellie, do you have a team or a player that has your heart right now? West Brom and Daryl DK. Um, <laughs> which is where the, the whole tears and situation comes in. Um. Like I said, I've been following DK's career for, for since he started at Orlando. Like, I've always loved the way he plays, and I think he has a really cool personality. I think he's, like, he seems like a really cool dude. I always really liked his everything, everything um, about his playing style, the way he was learning, the way he was growing as a player, and as uh, seems a person. Um, and so to see um, him, him get that injury um, is... That's my championship heartbreak um, for, I think, the season. Um, and if the championship cannot break my heart again, I very much like that. Um, but I would like to see West Brom, I'd, I'd like to see them make it up into the Prem. I think it'd be really cool. Um, I think they're solid. I, I, I think it'd be fun. Why not? Um, whether or not Daryl DK stays as a Premier League level striker, though, I don't. I don't see that necessarily being the case i would like him to develop just a 
smidgen more before I see him up in the Premier League. And if he wasn't likable enough already, right after the injury happened, he was even joking on Instagram that he could not, in fact, do it on a cold, rainy night in Stoke, which is a an amazing turn of phrase if you have been following soccer at all and and understand that. But Daryl DK could not do it on a rainy night in Stoke. He does his Achilles and he's out for a few months, but we will see what the, where the championship goes. And it's an exciting race, if anything, to cover, especially when you consider how many Americans are involved in this. All right, this uh, this is tough, but we have to keep talking about injuries this time on the women's side. Mallory Swanson had a patella injury that will keep her out of the 2023 World Cup. One of the most important players for the U.S. and in the form of her life, some of the best form in, in her career so far, one of the most important players for the U.S. getting goals aside from Alex Morgan. Now, this does open up opportunities for someone like Alyssa Thompson, who was called in to replace her on the roster against Ireland, or Trinity Rodman, who plays on the other side usually. So where does the U.S. go from here now that Mallory Swanson is going to be out for the World Cup? Does this have a tangible impact on what we can expect in terms of going three for three and and getting a three-peat in the World Cup? Are we now even more in danger of, of not winning this thing? because Mallory Swanson's not here with us. I think absolutely. I mean, Mal Swanson is possibly one of the top three wingers in the world right now. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to replace what she's doing. I mean, Sophia Smith popped off and had almost a better season last year. So there's a chance Sophia Smith gets back to that form that she was in before her injury. But man, that's such a big blow to our front line. It becomes sort of this issue now where who can replace one of the best players in the world, who's going to step up and fill that role. Is it going to be Katarina, Katarina Macario, who hasn't really appeared since her ACL tear last season? Is it going to be Trinity Rodman developing, maturing as a player, stepping into that role? Does Megan Rapino now have to play a bigger role? Do we turn to the, the wonder kid, Melissa Thompson? It's just, it's so hard to know now where that production comes from, but I just don't see how you replace Swanson's production over the past few months. And we don't even know if Katarina Macario is going to be fully healthy for this roster either. Apparently she was training with the team, I think, but not uh, formally called into the roster. So, um, Ellie, where's, like, what does this mean for the women's team? Is Sophia Smith, Alyssa Thompson, Trinity Rodman, are they enough to cover that? I don't know. Um, personally, I I just having heard and watched and learned about Mallory Swanson, no. Um, everything that all the, everything I, I read and researched and everything says, says no. Um, that like she, and having watched her, I mean, she's brilliant. She, I think Thomas is right to put her in that conversation for one of the top strikers in the world right now. I mean, she's, she's, she's been doing incredibly. Um, and, you know, right before World Cup, um, I I think if nothing else, I think this is a great chance for the U.S. women's team to show, you know, versatility. Um, I don't know, you know, I feel like I, I trust in the women's team almost more than the, the men's team to find a solution and just like bring something out of thin air because I feel like every time I hear about the women's team, they're like, and we missed our star player. 
and now we've sold it. And I'm like, yay, good us. Way to go us. Like, Yeah, I see where you're coming from, but the last couple of years, it's been so hard for us to do that. I mean, we just solved the Juli the problem of not having Julie Ertz for 18 months by bringing Julie Ertz out of retirement. So um, it doesn't seem do. like, yeah, <laughs> we don't really always have all the solutions anymore at the level we need to have them. We don't have a six to replace Julie Ertz. If when we lose Swanson, do we have a winger that can replace her? You know, Alyssa Thompson burst onto the scene this year. She could end up being that fourth winger. But if we have to go to a Lynn Williams or a Ashley Hatch to fill that role at the World Cup, I just, I'm not sure that I trust that level of player to get the job done. Yeah. It, it brings the level of the team down. Not to say anything poor about any of the replacements, but Mallory Swanson was just that good. And that's what it means for the U.S. women's team. The other huge story here, we mentioned it, is Julie Ertz is back from the grave. My God, that's Julie Ertz's music. <laughs> um, she has not played for a year and a half, had a child. Madden Matthew Ertz was born in August 2022, and now she's back, made her return. Also yesterday, just announced that she was signing for Angel City FC in the NWSL in LA. So she is back with the club, back with the national team. How important was it? for the U.S. to get Julie Ertz back to fill that Julie Ertz-sized hole that was left from her her leaving the team. I mean, we've seen Taylor Korniak there. We've seen Andy Sullivan there. We've seen Lindsey Horan there. No one has really inspired a lot of confidence in me that they could get the job done at the World Cup, and the midfield has just seemed like it was lacking. So, like, seeing Julie Ertz get a chance to get out there and, like, provide that leadership and just provide that stability to the midfield be the wrecking ball that she is it's it's really great to see i think that that really improves our chances at the world cup because she can just st stabilize that midfield so much so we don't rely on a player like haran or corniak to try and fill a role that they're just not really cut out for i do think that we probably should have auditioned sam coffee there but you know that's that's neither here nor there yeah uh, I do just want to mention, too, the NWSL, the Women's League in the U.S., has put up some really impressive numbers in terms of audiences and fans that are coming to the stadium. Uh, I've been personally watching on Paramount a lot of the games just because, for some odd reason, I am watching way less MLS because everything is on at one time. So if I watch the Union or if I watch the Red Bulls, then I miss every other game. So to have other matches on at other times, uh, Apple, take a hint here. I am watching NWSL, if nothing else, no other big European games are on. And the level of play, I just have to say, has really surprised me. And I'm I'm working on a, a full video now to be thinking about, is our 3 P in danger because of the way that the rest of the world has improved their infrastructure? Um, there are a lot of amazing players that are going to be playing for Spain, the Netherlands, France, all of these teams. England is coming for us in the 2023 World Cup. So missing Mallory Swanson here is going to be huge. Getting Julie Ertz back is also huge in almost the same way, but opposite direction. Um, so I just want to kind of leave the last question here. Are we expecting to, to win this World Cup? Should we be expecting to win this World Cup? I mean, for me, the, the expectation for the women's national team is always to win the World Cup. I, in sort of the same way that I'm very accepting of the flaws of the U.S. men's national team, I am very much not accepting of the flaws of the women's national team. We are one of the best. What a man thing to say. <laughs> 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 we, 
But we, we are truly one of the best in the world. We can have that England or that France arrogance about the women's national team because of how good we have been over the last 20 years. So, wow. If, if a French men's national team fan said that they weren't into a World Cup not expecting to win it, like, that would be insane. I think that's sort of the same way with this men's national team, or with this with the U.S. women's national team, is you are the best in the world. Go out and show it every single time. Um, that, you know, might be discounting some of the strides that Europe's made, and there are some good teams there. I do think that we're not the favorites, but we should still have that mentality going in of this is our tournament to lose. Kelly, agree? Yes and no. Um, I mean, I think that I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, let me take that and, and move other ways. Um, I mean, yes. I mean, I think I think going into any tournament, I think the men need to have the same mentality. I think every team needs to have the men- mentality of walking in and saying, you know, we're gonna play to win. This is, we're we're in it, and you know, this is our tournament to win, and have that confidence. And I think the women have the the background and have have had the skill for so long that I think to walk into a World Cup and say we're no longer, like, the favorites to win this means we need to, like, not walk into this expecting to win, I think is wrong. I think that we we need to walk in and, and say, you know, we have a history of being able to do this. Like, we're going to pull through and figure it out, um, whether we're, we're the favorites or not. Um, I think that that Thomas is right that, you know, we we have such a history that there's there's no excuse to walk into this and not expect to win. Now, granted, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This is where I'm gonna swivel a little bit here. Um, I don't think that, in in my mind, the women's national team should feel any kind of like any kind of like ultimate breakdown. This is horrible if we don't win because I think that it is a testament to how far women's soccer has come and what impact they have had on the sport. For having been such a just powerhouse for so long, fighting for for equal everything in soccer and trying to make those spaces available for women and bringing light to issues that, you know, really weren't being talked about before and weren't like at that level and getting that kind of like echo chamber, like they created an echo chamber that couldn't be ignored. And I think that losing to someone else in some ways is a testament to the fact that they screamed so loud that the whole world listened not just the u.s the whole world listened and said oh no women need more respect in this sport we gotta step our game up and started to move and shift and change and so i think you still have to walk in and say we're we're you know we're the goat we we've done this forever we're a powerhouse, we're a history, we've, we're amazing. But then if something bad happens, put on the mentality of, wow, look at what we've done for this sport, because that's incredible, just in and of itself. Yeah, I remember talking to Meg Swanick in 2021, right after the disappointing result in the Olympics that saw them with their worst finish ever. And she was making the point that, you know, the U.S. women losing in in that round and having so many competitive teams is almost a testament and a compliment to the U.S. women's team to have everyone be gunning for them for two decades and the entire infrastructure and building out national teams, building out club teams, all of that was in pursuit and chasing what the U.S. already had. So 
kudos no matter what happens we will be cheering our women on but i think we got enough talent we got enough mix of veterans young players to push us through and uh, i'm hoping for a huge tournament and making history no no team men or women has ever won three world cups in a row so be on the lookout for the u.s women's national team this summer all right let's talk about the men's national team now the roster is out if you haven't heard, the U.S. is playing Mexico in a huge rivalry match provided by Allstate in the <laughs> Continental Classico. Um, guys, pretty interesting roster here. Mostly Major League Soccer players that are taking a midweek break from their Major League <laughs> Soccer games before they go right back to their clubs. Although we have a few names here that we need to talk about. Serginho Dest is obviously the one that tops everything the maligned AC Milan defender, I think that's fair to say, yeah, has been so. released. <laughs> um, uh, Josh Winder, 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 uh, comes from the USL and he is with this US team. I, I think in the past, having players that came from the USL, we've seen it before, but it kind of meant something different. Right now, the players that USL is producing and the pathway that they're providing to Europe in a way that MLS can't because of their greediness with player contracts is making it so that players like Joshua Winder... Win- I think it's Winder. Winder? All right, we're going to go with Winder. Josh, if, Josh, we know you're also listening, so call in and <laughs> tell us what it is. I think this is like the next step, right? To see that, okay, not only is there validation that I can go to USL and make the jump to Europe, but I can also go to USL and make waves enough to be called into national teams. Then we have Alan Senora coming back as well, um, someone that is not MLS-based currently. And we have two new goalkeepers with us, Drake Callender and Roman Celentano that we haven't seen before, and Sean Johnson rounding out the goalkeeper core. Let's talk about this roster in general, and then we'll kind of go into spots here. Um, Ellie, what are some of the names that really stick out to you? Who are you excited to see? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm really excited to see um, Matt Miazga come back. Um, I I was I always love that. I think one of the my one of the moments in like U.S. soccer history that stands out to be the most that Thomas is laughing because he knows is the yeah. The little, I was like, there that day. That was that was such a fun moment. <laughs> like it that just, was my first ever U.S. game. I want to see him come out and be angry. And, you know, it's such a big rivalry. I want to see that that fire and that heat and I'm I'm excited to have Matt Miazga back to kind of maybe add a little bit of fire and heat because you know why did you not? see did you guys see his comments that he made to the media after getting called up? He yeah. he made some fiery comments about how he'd been disrespected in the past. So he's already doing that for you, Ellie. I think that's a great way to not be called back after yeah. being called in. But yeah. you know, hey, if that's how Miazga rolls, that's how he rolls. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to discount anyone from FC Cincinnati getting a call right now. They're just on fire in MLS as much as you can be on fire when you're winning every single game 1-0 before getting pasted by St. Louis. Yeah, um, I was going to say wrong week to say that. Yeah, wrong week to say that. But before that, they were on just a massive string of 1-0 wins. Celentano uh, uh, and uh, Miazga are a huge part of that. So, you know, they've definitely earned this call up. Yeah, and Brandon Vasquez as well. He's he's on a slow start. Only the one goal so far, but I think one assist as well. But yeah, I mean he's still playing well. You have to be to have since he in the position that they are. 
Yeah, so let's talk about the defenders. So Gino Dess, like we discussed, Julian Gressel is listed as a defender. I think he will be there as well. Aaron Long, Matt Miazga, Shaq Moore, Caleb Wiley, Joshua Winder, DeAndre Edlin, and Walker Zimmerman. Do we play with our strongest backline here, or is this an experimental game? I, I, I feel honestly, like Hudson wants to win. Yeah, I, I think he does too, so I think he's going to go strong. I kind of want to see a back three, though. Um, I would love okay, to see Winder, Miazga, and uh, let's go Zimmerman. Uh, and just see what they can do. We have <laughs> we've called in really good wingbacks. I don't think we've called in very good, just straight Ellie up pure defended. defenders. But we've called in very good wingbacks. So if you have a back three and you just let say let's say Caleb Wiley and Sergio Dest cook down that right and left side, uh, providing the width, we don't really have good wingers on this roster. Then like that'd be kind of fun. It would be something new. We don't really see that that often. A three-five-two would just be a blast. I'm I'm fully supporting you there. Um, it are you putting are you putting Dest and Wiley in the midfield? I mean, wing backs are sort of hybrid midfield defenders. They have less defensive responsibility than true left back, right back. But um, they can they will be providing the width more than say Cade Cowell and Paul Ariola, who are the only true wingers on this roster. Okay, just trying to figure that out. Because if you were going to state that Sergio Dest shouldn't play. Um, I, oh, no. I might have flown to Pennsylvania areas and figured out where you're at right now so that <laughs> I could yell at you in person. Um, the man has oh, not no. had playing time, and I understand that that's a problem. But the co- but he needs a boost in confidence in my mind. He needs oh, yeah, no. time. He needs someone to support him because he's had two clubs, in my mind, disrespect him. Um, and I think having your own national team that fought tooth and nail to get you on to to commit to the squad then turn around and not play you when you're not getting playing time elsewhere in my mind's not good not oh, yeah that's that should play he's bored he needs he needs something to do <laughs> he needs something to do yeah. that's not like training by himself somewhere in milan yes. i don't know i'm kind of of the mindset that it's like fool me once shame on you fool me twice, shame on me. Like, shouldn't <laughs> we be looking at Serginio Dest a little bit here? Be like, what's going on? Why it's, have why have yeah. you fallen out with two clubs in eight months? It's so weird because whenever I see him play for the U.S., he looks great, and then he goes back to Europe, and clubs just keep casting him off. So it, he's it's... the anti Timothy Chandler <laughs> in that respect. Yeah. Oh, that's actually a good comparison. No, um. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it would, that chat. <laughs> um, it would it would be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what we do with this roster in the back line because, like, you know, Dust has to play. I want to see Wiley play. He's off to a great start with Atlanta this season. Um, but also Julian Gressel's in the top like five for attacking defenders in MLS right now. He's yeah. he's playing great. He's got Vancouver humming right now. He is their one of their best attacking talents, even though he's playing right wing back. So he's. A little older and slower. I don't think I necessarily want him to start, but you got to think he should play some. Yeah, I mean, speaking of stats that are dominating Major League Soccer, let's move to the midfielders because Aiden Morris is having a season to remember for the 21-year-old. And I just released a video on Columbus Crew. It's really interesting how uh, Wilfred Nancy, the manager, allows Aiden Morris and Darlington Nagby to step into some of those inverted fullback ranges so not necessarily dropping between the center backs or playing a natural pivot role 
but kind of playing wide and being able to attack spaces that way. But Aiden Morris is leading the league in midfielder tackling stats in like four different categories. He's highest up in pass percentage completion, uh, switch, long switches that are accurate and completed. He didn't do great in his showing for the U.S. in the January camp, from what I recall, but he is just blowing it out of the water with the Columbus crew in Major League Soccer. I'm personally hoping to see Aiden Morris get the the start at the defensive midfielder position, just because we know what Kelly Nacosta is about. We know what he can do. Although I feel like he always comes to play against Mexico, and we might uh, want that veteran leadership there. So Aiden Morris and Kelly Nacosta are the sixes on this roster that I can see. Chris Roldan is listed as a midfielder. Who knows what seven positions he'll play for this team. James, Sand- I guess James Sands is also a center defensive midfielder. Alan Senora and Jackson Ewell. Well, if I count Jackson Ewell, now I'm looking down the line. There's like four defensive midfielders here. Maybe Kellen Acosta plays the eight. What What are we doing with our midfielders? I, I think you got to go with... Uh, I don't want Jackson Ewell to play. I'll go ahead and put it that way. The but return put, of Jackson Ewell. Please, no. What a story. <laughs> This is one of the players his way right? into the 2026 lineup. <laughs> one of those players who, like, even I can't really find a lot of positives on calling him up. He's, he's not. I watch a lot of San Jose. They happen to be on a great times for me to watch this lot of soccer. And every single time, I'm just sitting there like, why is he playing? Why is he the captain? Um, and so I don't see how that translates into being a strong national team player personally. Um, I would personally set it up with probably Acosta and Senora ahead of Morris or play a double pivot of Acosta and Morris with Senora ahead of them. Or maybe just play Acosta and Morris as dual eights in a 5-3-2-1 or a, no, a 3-4-1-2 and play Jesus Ferreira ahead of them. That's the way that Columbus plays. So maybe that's the way to get the best out of Aiden Morris. Um the other Morris on this roster has eight goals and is leading the golden boot race in Major League Soccer. I'm talking about Jordan Morris, the, <laughs> the original Morris on this roster. Um, but there's also Jesus Ferreira and Brandon Vasquez. So, Ellie, who for you actually plays at the number nine position here? Do we go on to the hot streak and ride Jordan Morris into the sunset here? Or is it Jesus Ferreira and Brandon Vasquez still in their more natural positions? You know, and I think that's that's a tricky one because I think from from what I've seen, the stats seem to indicate it should be Morris. Um, I'd love to see Vasquez um, go for it um, and see him get more more chances and more more shots at at playing that striker position, um, especially because he has been so prevalent in that conversation recently for our our striker position for. Um, other squads so I think I'd like to see him um just you know why not it'd be fun um but I mean Jesus Ferreira I don't know if Jesus Ferreira could use that confidence booster of you know getting the chance to play and you know show that he still is in that conversation for the U.S. roster um I think that there are a lot. I think I put a question mark by every single name, and I think almost any one of those three names that are thrown out, I'm good with. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw a fit. I'm not gonna argue. Two thumbs up. It's kind of like to me. it's the mentality that we're taking into this game, right? Because if you're like 
well, I want to give someone a boost of confidence, then maybe it's Jesus Ferreira. And then if it's, hey, I want to use this game to provide opportunities to players we need to see more, maybe it's Brandon Vasquez. And maybe it's, hey, I want to play all of my best players in their best form. Maybe it's Jordan Morris. So that brings me to my last question about this game and this roster. It's it's a four-day camp with a mostly MLS roster between MLS match days against, like, USA-Mexico is an amazing fixture, no matter what, if it's a friendly or not. So do we care about this game? What does this game mean to us as fans? I, I'm struggling to figure out what to do with this game because it's it's not in a FIFA window. It's not really um, the best sides for either club, either national team. So, like, I mean, you're getting a chance to see some prospects. Maybe you're getting a chance to get some more bragging rights over Mexico. Feels like Mexico needs this more than the U.S. needs it. So I kind of would like to deny them that just out of petty spite. But... Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I personally don't know if I can bring myself to be super excited about this one. Um, yeah. But it, it, is there value in it? Is there more value than just sort of a cash grab for U.S. Soccer yeah, Federation? Uh, you know what value is in it? Cash <laughs> money. <laughs> Ellie, what, how do you feel about this game? Okay, this might sound a little weird. I think for the most part this game in my mind is just to keep fan bases engaged um because we still have a little bit of time before seasons like before you know a broad season ends before we we hit the really big moments in our in our national team windows i in my mind this is this is an engagement thing which is fine um, but that means that you play a star-studded roster and you play for an interesting game and you don't necessarily play for, you know, trying to figure out who fits best in the squad or things like that. I don't really see it being, cause it's in such a, it's, it's such, a, I've been having a hard, hard time to align this game with what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Uh. What's, why is this game a thing? Like if it, if we wanted it to be a huge deal and like like the biggest deal you could make it and make it into this like giant event put it when there's an international break and you can bring pull a six man in the mirror act back and you can bring shushing the crowd back um but this is not that yeah and or maybe even add it as like a compliment to the league's cup final or something where it's like yeah. The U.S. Oh. clubs versus Mexico clubs, and whoever's out of the tournament can be called in. Like maybe yeah. that would be cool. That, I would watch that. That'd be that'd be amazing. I would. That would be a lot of fun. This one is just weird. The timing's yeah. weird. You don't get a full camp. We don't get to really evaluate the players for more than like a day. Like normally, the value of an international window is mainly in that week and a half before they actually play a game, mm-hmm. uh, where they're actually training and the coaches are getting to look at them. We don't actually get to see that part, so we don't care about it as, as much as the coaches do. But that's where the value is, and we're just losing a lot of that value with this window. So I'm, yeah. I, we don't really need to stay fresh for a World Cup. I, I'm just curious about the timing myself, particularly if you look at the schedules that the Concacaf has released. They overlap the Nations League with the Gold Cup start, like the Gold Cup group. Gold Cup group stage happens before the Nations League final. 
Um, why are we playing both those tournaments simultaneously and playing this one in a non-FIFA window? Like, well, what is CONCACAF doing? What are the U.S. Soccer Federation and the FMF doing right now? I, 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 I don't quite get the logistics of maximizing their value and squeezing every penny out of these players bodies that they can well speaking of value everyone i hope you got lots of value out of listening to us talk about everything that's happening in u.s soccer thanks for also getting through this break with us ellie and tom did to their credit record an episode and i just got so sucked up into dad life that i didn't edit it so that's my bad um, but we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for listening to us right now. Can I ask you if you are watching on YouTube to like this video because that tells Big Daddy algorithm that this was a great video and you loved it and you're going to send it to someone else. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please give us five stars as that will do a ton with their Big Mama algorithms to show it to their people. So do that for us. Let's get to last words. Tom, what's your last word this week? I mean, last word is go enjoy some soccer. I Whether you're watching the European games, whether you're watching the Continental Classico, whether you're trying to catch up on MLS, or whether you're like Ellie and the lower league sicko uh, who just enjoys watching something crazy, go out and enjoy it. There's so much to enjoy about this time of year with all these different leagues playing, so... I'm going to be catching as much as possible in between all the work that I've got going on. Um, Hope that everyone does the same. Kelly, what's your last word? Are you ready for an echo? Support lower league soccer. (laughs) Seasons are full swing. We've got NISA going. We've got USL going. MLS Next Pro. We've got NPS. We've got everything going. Find your local soccer club and support them. It means the world to everyone. And also... Like, think that the Honka Calf is crazy? Try Lower League U.S. Soccer. It's even crazier. It's so much fun. I believe MPSL doesn't start up till June, but the rest of that's accurate. That's fair. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think, as always, my word is just find your local club. It will be worth it, and you'll find other people just as crazy about soccer as you are, and it'll make your life infinitely better. So I feel like you just did a was it Howard Dean was like, go see your MLS team, go see your USL team. We're going to NPSL. (laughs) You lose your campaign because that's what lost you a campaign in 2003, (laughs) but not anymore. Anyways, my last word is thank you for watching. (laughs) Thanks for sticking with us, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We love you. We'll be next back next week and we'll see you next time on it's called soccer. Peace. See you guys. (laughs) 